Welcome everyone to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF, and I am once again joined by PFF's lead fantasy analyst, the great Nathan Yonke. Nate, I know we say it every week, but once again, another wild week in the NFL. How are you doing after all the craziness of yesterday's games? Uh, doing well. It was a fun day yesterday, all those last-minute field goals. We have C.D. Lamb having one of the best stretches we've ever seen out of a wide receiver. A lot of fun things happening in football and a lot of fun things to talk about today. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. That that was definitely a wild day yesterday. We had, like, yeah, five last-second field goals, and then I guess mm-hmm. it was some kind of tribute to kickers in the on, on Sunday Night Football um, with the field goal fest between the Jets and the Raiders, so that was fun, um, as expected. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun week. We got some good uh, fantasy takeaways here to talk about as we uh, head into Week 11 and close out Week 10. But uh, again, we're 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 going to go through the main takeaways, not necessarily going game by game. Um, we're just going to focus on some of the top stuff from this week. And Nate has all the uh, game by game takeaways and, and game recaps up on PFF.com that people can check out for free. If there is something that uh, we don't talk about today that you were hoping to hear about, you can definitely check that out on PFF.com right now. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into it. And before we do, we just have to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor, Fabric by Gerber Life. Fall is all about the back to school and back to routine checklist. And the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies to fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash fantasy. That's meetfabric.com slash fantasy. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash fantasy. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Nate, let's do the damn thing and start with the running backs and one of the games of the week as well as America's team, the Detroit Lions, outlast the Los Angeles Chargers in a shootout. Uh, and in the first half for Detroit, it was the running backs that drove the offense with Jameer Gibbs finding the end zone twice. But don't forget about David Montgomery, who returns after missing two games with a, a ribs injury, and he rips off a 75-yard touchdown in there, finishing finishing with 116 rushing yards on the day. So what can you tell us about how the Lions' backfield looked with Monty back in the lineup? Yeah, this was interesting to see since even before Montgomery was out, Gibbs also missed time. So this was the first time since week four that we had really seen both of these running backs both start a game and finish it. And in that week four game, Montgomery ran the ball 32 times for 121 yards and three touchdowns. So last time we saw these two together, it was pretty clearly Montgomery being the guy, but Gibbs has played relatively well over these past five, six weeks. So um, we saw Montgomery start the game, but we did see Gibbs see pretty significant playing time. He ended up out snapping Montgomery in basically every situation except for short yardage where it was just a four to three split. And the big thing was Gibbs was used a lot in goal line situations. Uh, we had seen David Montgomery be the goal line guy most of the time when he's been healthy. And we know Detroit loves to run the ball when they're on the one yard line. So Gibbs having some of that goal line work is huge. And this week it really paid off because he ended up with two one yard touchdowns. So both players had double digit carries, uh, plenty of yards and Montgomery 
uh, ended up with more yards with 116, mostly because he broke a 75-yard run. But then Gibbs kind of made up for that with his work in the receiving game, three receptions, 35 receiving yards. So this was probably the most like how I kind of expected the backfield to be at the beginning of the season. It's not surprising that Montgomery started early on and it took Gibbs some time to take over as the lead guy. And it took a couple injuries for us to finally reach this point where we could see the two together again. But this was pretty good to see. Uh, fairly comfortable having Gibbs in my starting lineup. Basically, any kind of matchup going forward. And Montgomery probably depends a little bit on who they're playing. But I think the Lions schedule is decent enough that Montgomery can still also be in starting lineups in a number of games. We saw this last year, too, or past couple years where the Lions could have two starting fantasy running backs when Swift was healthy and Jamal Williams was playing. So I think this is probably an even better situation than what we were seeing those past years. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think there's definitely room for uh, for both guys here. And and like you said, um, Gibbs did see more of the, the red zone and, and goal line work there. Um, but yeah, Montgomery did at least outsnap Gibbs slightly in, in the red zone, eight to seven. But obviously Gibbs got more carries and then in goal to go situations. Montgomery was still in there as well. He had a couple carries uh, as well on four snaps, I believe it was. So it wasn't completely phased out from like goal to go situations. But yeah, it was nice to see at least Gibbs get involved there as well. And and kind of help his uh, floor and ceiling a little bit here as we go forward. Um, all right, next up is the Ravens backfield. And we, we led with this one last week, and I think definitely worth the follow-up here this week because Keaton Mitchell w- was a top waiver wire target this past week. And spoilers, he might just be again this week, but um, because he broke off another nice run for a 39-yard touchdown, he added 32 receiving yards on the day as well, and just continues to look good uh, with his opportunities um, after last week. So, Nate, I, I know the concern w- with this group is the-, the the committee in the Ravens' backfield. So what did that uh, committee look like in Week 10? Yeah, it was a little weird, like uh... – we didn't see Mitchell get added to a ton of leagues. We saw him added in plenty of leagues over the past week, but there were plenty of people in my mentions as well talking about how it was a blowout last week, how the Ravens still have a three-man committee, so there were concerns that way. But the big thing is Mitchell has the upside that he's playing well and could overtake both of these running backs. And we saw in the first quarter, it was really just a two-man rotation. It was Edwards and Mitchell as the only players playing. Edwards played nine first quarter snaps. Mitchell played six. Uh, That's when he had his 39-yard touchdown run and a 32-yard pass. And those two plays alone were enough to lead the Ravens running backs in rushing yards and receiving yards for the day. Um, After that point, Mitchell was only used for a couple of snaps each quarter, which was pretty surprising considering how well he's been playing. Uh, Justice Hill started playing more. Gus Edwards ended up being the main guy throughout the rest of the day. I don't know if it was partially injury related. We know he popped up on the injury report on Thursday with a hamstring injury, uh, was limited in practice that day, full participant on Friday, uh, was listed as questionable for the game. So I don't know if he maybe aggravated something or the whole plan was to keep him limited because of the injury, but he was clearly the best Ravens running back on the field this past week. So he's still up. the top running back option that you should be considering just because he's playing so well and Edwards only averaged 2.2 yards per carry. So it seemed like at the start of the game, Mitchell had already surpassed Hill on the depth chart. We saw in the fourth quarter last week when it was garbage time and it was backups in, it was Hill in and not Mitchell. So 
I would be decently comfortable already calling Mitchell the number two running back in Baltimore, but I could very well see him either overtaking Edwards or being more of a 50-50 split since Edwards in general is still a decent running back who can see double-digit carries a game, but I think the two can coexist perfectly fine to a point where Mitchell could be fantasy relevant. I think the one big concern is Gus Edwards is taking the goal line work. He saw both goal line snaps in this game, but Mitchell did see the one short yardage work, so it's possible Mitchell could also see goal line work going forward. Yeah, an interesting group for sure, right? And it, it is a, it's a weird rotation over there. And look, I mean, like you said, it seems like Keaton Mitchell is at least second among the, the Ravens running backs right now on the depth chart. And Justice Hill didn't get into the game until I, I think the second quarter, right? So he didn't play at all in the first. And then... Um, Mitchell he didn't play much in the fourth quarter, which was interesting. He played two snaps where I think Edwards and Hill both played each eight each. So it was, uh, again, just a clear rotation there in Baltimore. But uh, Mitchell's looked the best of the bunch, at least uh, as far as being efficient with his touches, which was really nice to see. Yeah, and I'll add, looking at our Slack messages, our... Um... Social media person Beckett is letting us know that John Harbaugh said that Mitchell not playing much in the second half was not injury related. So that also just adds to the intrigue of what's going on for Baltimore right now. But it's also perfectly fine if the Ravens are using Mitchell and considering how much time he missed both late in the preseason during training camp during the first half of the season being an undrafted rookie, limiting his playing time to however many snaps isn't that surprising at this point. So again, you're adding Mitchell because of what he could be doing in a month from now, more so than what he is going to be doing over the next week or two. Nice. Yeah. Shout out Beckett for the, uh, the live update there, Baltimore Ravens fan as well. Sorry for your loss yesterday to those Cleveland Browns. Um, all right. Off to the Minnesota Vikings backfield where Alexander Madison uh, actually left this game late in the third quarter with a, a possible concussion. Uh, he did not return after that. So Nate Madison out of the game, Minnesota also lost camp makers to an Achilles last week. So which Vikings running backs are left for us, assuming uh, Madison misses time here. Oh, yeah, we saw Ty Chandler get pretty heavily involved in this game and usually don't talk about injuries too much on this podcast just because we don't know how long people will be out for. So I was more so interested in including Minnesota and Madison here because Chandler was getting pretty heavily involved early in the game as well. Had thought considering Chandler was benched more or less or or not benched because he was already the backup, but he saw his role reduced early in the season with the trade for Cam Akers. So I had thought Madison would probably see a higher majority of snaps when he was playing, but uh, Chandler was more successful than Madison over the first three quarters of the game before Madison's injury. They had the same number of carries, even though Madison was seeing more playing time, but Chandler ended up with more yards during that stretch, but Madison was averaging more yards after contact per carry. And then Chandler ran the ball a lot more in the fourth quarter. Once Madison was out, the Vikings had the lead. So uh, Chandler not very successful running the ball in that quarter because they knew they were running the ball. So that didn't go as well, but I wouldn't be surprised if Madison, it'll probably take a week for him to come back since that's been pretty typical for players with concussions this season. So could very well see Chandler be the starter this next week, see a pretty high majority of snaps since um, he should be the main guy. And after that point, I wouldn't be surprised if this still is a 50-50 split or backfield that's more complicated like it had been before Cam Akers' injury. And if Chandler plays well this next week, 
I think the starting job could be his over time, just depending on how well he plays, just because we haven't seen great play out of Vikings running backs in general this season. Yeah, we really haven't, which uh, again, it is su- surprising considering the, the Minnesota offensive line, their, their, their run blocking unit has been really solid and they just have not delivered behind that, um, behind that offensive line for, for whatever reason. And it was definitely a tougher matchup this week going against uh, the, the Saints, but you know, it's kind of been the story of the season for the Vikings here, or at least their running backs as far as inefficiency goes. So definitely possible that Ty Chandler can, can, uh, maybe overtake Alexander Madison snaps at some point here and they they do play on Sunday night football I believe so for week 11 so hopefully we get some clarity on Alexander Madison I figure we should um before before then uh, and and his concussion if he can clears if he clears protocol as well all right, here's one uh, that we haven't talked about on this recap show for a while, but one we spent a lot of time in the offseason with, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers backfield splits uh, between Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. It's been pretty even lately. Uh, and Nate, I know you wrote up Jalen Warren as a start this week and starts it, and both Steelers running backs delivered this week. Um, Najee drops 82 rushing yards and a touchdown. Warren goes for 101 and a touchdown. So how did the splits look in week 10? Yeah, it was fairly split in this game, and it was something where last week uh, he set a career high in rushing yards with 88, and there are times where a player will do really well in one game and it won't be all that much snap-related, so I kind of ignore it for a week, but then once you do it for a second straight game, then it starts to get a little bit more interesting, and Warren had his first 100-yard rushing performance this past week. It was a pretty clear split in terms of rushing attempts. And the big thing is in early downs, it was a pretty even split where typically we have been seeing Harris see roughly twice as many snaps as Warren on early downs. So having that go from a two thirds, one third split to a one half, one half split uh, this past week, which uh, they did that in week one and then hadn't done it again since then was pretty noteworthy for me since that means Warren could continue to see this many carries going forward. Um, Harris still was the goal line and short yardage back, which isn't surprising. And Warren was still the third down back. Um, It was a little interesting to see Harris during the two-minute drill, but teams aren't always completely consistent in their two-minute drill backs. So I'm not sure if that's something that'll stick going forward or not. But if that doesn't stick and Warren can see more two-minute drill snaps going forward, then I think Warren will be the player to pretty consistently lead this backfield and offensive snaps. It's been close to 50-50, largely depending on the game script. We've seen Warren ahead if it's a game where the Steelers are down and in more passing situations. And we've seen Harris ahead of that 50-50 in other games where the Steelers have been winning and are in more rushing situations. But this was a pretty neutral game and seeing that split on early downs, both in carries and in snaps. And in general, Harris had been playing probably the best football of his career to start the season. So that probably slowed down Warren's ascension in the backfield. But Warren's been playing so good these past couple weeks, uh, averaging 6.5 yards per carry over the past four games and has more explosive runs, twice as many avoided tackles, more first downs, despite having 16 fewer carries over these last couple weeks compared to Harris. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is the point where Warren starts to overtake Harris in terms of rush attempts and playing time so i think it'll be interesting to see how the steelers use their running backs over these next few weeks 
Yeah, de definitely going to be interesting. Najee Harris, even despite like the the split usage, he's been really good. And like you said, oh, those past four games have been kind of the key, right? Like since their bye week, Najee Harris has hit double digit PPR points. Coming off now his best game of the year, eighteen point six PPR points. Um, he, he's hit double digit in all four of those games since the bye. He's hit over fifteen fantasy points in three of four of those games. Only had uh, one double digit PPR point. Um, per or PPR game through the first five weeks of the season. So he's been much better um, recently, which is interesting. And then meanwhile, Lore, uh, Warren has also been delivering um, really all season long for him. He's averaging 11.3 PPR fantasy points per game all season, but really starting to see him be more efficient, like you said, since the bye week as well, which is which is great to see. And like you said, that, that could continue to get him more work here in this Steelers backfield, which uh, – I mean, hopefully both guys can continue to produce, but uh, if we see Najee get limited too much, that could be a problem. Um, all right, let's go back to the Baltimore-Cleveland game to talk about the Browns' backfield this time because Kareem Hunt found the end zone, but it was Jerome Ford who put up over 100 rushing yards against this Ravens defense. So how did that use to shake out, Nate? Yeah, the Browns' backfield felt like one that I was at least writing about every single week, whether or not we were talking about it. I think made the top 10 list, but a lot of it had to do with injuries and first uh, Kareem Hunt joined the Browns, so that started to limit Ford's playing time after Ford started seeing more and more playing time each week. Then both running backs got injured, so it wasn't uh, the greatest situation to be able to project going forward, but we've seen both running backs relatively healthy these past two weeks, and it seems to pretty well stabilized how they've used the running backs. It's been Ford being pretty much the clear guy in most situations, uh, leading to well over 50% of the snaps, getting roughly twice as many carries as Kareem Hunt. Uh, the only problem is Hunt has been the goal linebacker, so he scored a touchdown in this one. And going forward, he'll probably be the one scoring more touchdowns unless Ford is able to break some long runs for touchdowns. So I think we are pretty well seeing what the Browns running backs will be like going forward. It is at least worth noting Pierre Strong uh, has been dealing with a hamstring injury, so now he's the injured running back. Uh, he only saw a few snaps last week, didn't see any offensive snaps this week. Would expect him to still see a couple snaps here and there once he's 100%, but don't expect him to factor in all that much. So I think we're at a point where Ford can probably be trusted in fantasy lineups in most weeks, just not someone I'd expect to have many top 15 weeks if he's not scoring the touchdowns, but he's getting the carries, he's getting the targets. I'd expect him to be the primary guy in Kareem Hunt still worth holding on to because he's the handcuff there's still a chance that this backfield could change and in dfs he's fine because there's a chance that he scores a touchdown or two in a game and even if he's not getting that many carries that's still pretty helpful so i think that's probably what we'll see out of the browns backfield going forward yeah I, i'm with you and that's uh that's nice to see for jerome ford um again and like you said 17 total carries he had 20 last week but this past week 63 percent of the the running back carries which was a season high for him he had kind of been hovering around um that 50 55 range at best on on any given week so um really nice stuff for for jerome ford there and the browns do have the fifth best um strength of schedule during the fantasy playoffs as well um so that that's promising if uh you know he can continues to be in this lead spot there there is a nice schedule for him um during the playoffs so it could continue can continue to be a nice fantasy starter here 
Um, all right. A- another player that we talked about last week uh, was Alvin Kamara, and we we highlighted his declining snap share. Um, he had dipped below 60% of offensive snaps for two straight weeks. Um, he was below 50% of the rush attempts in that time as well. So, Nate, uh, did Kamara continue that lower usage, or did he bounce back here in Week 10? He did bounce back. He played roughly 70% of offensive snaps. He ended up with more yards, a lot more receptions. So kind of dug deep into what happened in this game compared to the past couple games and what we can expect going forward. Um, One thing is Jamal Williams last week played a bit more than he had played the previous two weeks. Uh, In this game, Williams kind of bounced back down to around 22% of offensive snaps, which was pretty consistent with week seven and eight. So week nine seemed to be the anomaly there. So that's good news for Kamara that he started seeing more playing time from Williams. And Kendra Miller, their third round pick, was inactive in this game due to an ankle injury. So instead of this being a three-man backfield like some teams will do when there's an injury, they just condensed it to a two-man backfield. So that also helped Kamara's playing time. Um, I would expect once Miller is healthy again that Kamara would dip down a little bit compared to what we saw in this game. But another big thing is Taysom Hill wasn't as involved in the offense. Uh, Hill had been seeing double-digit snaps at quarterback these past two weeks, and he only saw a couple of those snaps in this game. Um, He also... Uh, Hill was used more as a receiver, and I think a big thing is the Saints were passing the ball a lot because they were losing. Kamara actually had his career, or not career, season low in target rate this season at 24.1, which is still very good for a running back, just low for him, but the Saints were just throwing a lot more than they had been in past weeks. Uh, Kamara ran 29 routes this week compared to, I think it was 19 and 18 the previous two weeks, so it was simply passing volume for the Saints that led to more targets by Kamara. So a better game for him, even though he didn't end up finding the end zone, but I still would be pretty concerned about Kamara over the rest of the season. Uh, The Saints only have one more game on their schedule with a team with a winning record. It's the Lions. So this Vikings game was the second most difficult game that the Saints had left on the season. Um, It's mostly division games against Carolina, against Atlanta, Um, and other teams that have losing records. So I think those will be games where the Saints will be running the ball more often, so they'd be passing less, which means fewer targets for Kamara, which is really where Kamara's been getting a ton of his fantasy value this season, is from how often he's been getting targeted. And then even Hill, I expect him to be used more often when they're winning. Um, He's taken or he's been in the backfield on 20% of the Saints' snaps when they've had a lead so far this season, and only 7% of snaps when they've been losing this season. So it wasn't that surprising that uh, he wasn't getting that many carries in this game because the Saints were playing from behind. But I expect the Saints to be favorites in most games going forward, which means Hill should be used more often in the run game than he was here so with the combination of them winning more which means more Taysom Hill and also once Kendra Miller is healthy I expect Kamara to not see as high of a percentage of playing time his fantasy value would need to come a bit more in the run game and he hasn't been all that efficient of a runner these past couple seasons at this point so still don't think he will see as much fantasy value over the rest of the season compared to what we've seen over this first half of the season since his suspension ended. Nice. Well said. Yeah, I'm with you there for sure. Um, 
All right, let's go. We'll go on to the wide receivers here in a second, but we'll just do a quick ad read uh, from DraftKings. And DraftKings asked the question, who are the pretenders and who are the contenders? Uh, We're more than halfway through the NFL season, but DraftKings Sportsbook is still pumping out unbeatable offers every single game. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener, sweetener offer every game day this November. So Nate, we got a couple picks here um, going into Monday night that we we can look to take advantage of on DraftKings. So the one that I went with, uh, we would kind of talked about it actually last week as well, and that and it bled into this week here because it's Monday night football. But um, Dalton Kincaid over his receiving yard total of fifty two and a half. So Denver uh, has allowed an eighty four point eight percent completion rate to tight ends. That's the highest in the league. They've allowed five hundred and sixty two receiving yards to tight ends. That's the sixth most in the league, and they've had their bye week in there as well. Um, so over seventy yards per game that is for for Denver to the tight ends. Uh, they've allowed a 23.7% explosive play rate to tight ends, also the worst rate in the league. And then Kincaid, we've seen him have at least an 85% route participation with with Dawson Knox uh, out of the lineup. And then coming off a game where he had a 98% route participation at 26% target rate. So I am going with Dalton Kincaid over 52 and a half uh, tonight. Well, Denver has been allowing so much to tight ends. They have not been allowing as much to slot receivers. And the Bills' main slot receiver has been Julio Secure over these past few weeks. So I'm going to go with him under 36.5 receiving yards. A lot of that just has to do with Denver not allowing as much to slot receivers so far this season compared to outside receivers or tight ends, like you were saying. And I also expect this to be a game where the Bills are winning. So might not see quite as much 11 personnel this week compared to other weeks. Uh, Shakir has been on the field 42 or 43% of the time when the Bills have been losing this season, only 32% of the time when the Bills have been winning. And sometimes that is as an outside receiver because they have backups in and are running the ball. So even though Shakir is on the field, sometimes when they're winning a lot more often, it's because he's run blocking more so than running a route. So expect him to not be running as many routes this season. And with the matchup, I expect, the Bills to be able to find plenty of success throwing to other players like Kincaid, like you were saying. So don't expect this to be a game where Shakir is going to be as needed as he's been these past few weeks. All right, there we go. So get in on the football action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the app now and use code PFF. New customers can bet just $5 on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources all right nate let's talk some wide receiver takeaways here and start with another one of these really great games from this past week the the houston texans who beat the cincinnati Bengals on a last second field goal and they did it without their leading receiver nico collins but no nico no problem for rookie cj stroud who spread the ball around threw for over 350 yards for the second straight game so nate who was it that stroud was throwing to in this game 
Oh, yeah. First, I'll go back and say that there's been a few things each year where I feel like I'm writing about it each week. And I'm like, okay, at this point, we'll start to see this and we'll finally have an answer. And we never get there. Last year, (laughs) I was thinking Damian Williams would come back uh, for Atlanta at some point in the season. This year, Zay Jones keep writing about him in the waiver wire more often than not. And he still hasn't come back. But another thing has been this Texans wide receivers, and I just want to see how the wide receiver rotation works out when everybody is healthy, but we have not gotten there, and I don't know when we'll get there. But um, the first week of the season, everyone was healthy, but Tank Dell was still fourth on the depth chart, didn't see all that much playing time, but did well in his time. But then Noah Brown landed on injured reserve, missed weeks two to five. Uh, Dell missed week six. The Texans had their bye in week seven. Robert Woods missed weeks eight and nine, and now Nico Collins missed week 10. So we still have not seen the Texans with their top four wide receivers all healthy. So each week it's just been whichever three of the four wide receivers have been healthy, have been playing all the time in 11 personnel. So that's what we saw in this one. Um, we also saw in 12 personnel, it was primary, primarily Dell with the two other wide receivers rotating in and out. We also saw John Mechie, Uh, Mix in a little bit in 11 personnel, especially over the second half of the game, primarily in place of Woods. But we saw Noah Brown, um, who in his seventh year in his NFL, as of two weeks ago, had not had a 100-yard game in his career to this point. And then these past two weeks, he's uh, had 150-plus yard performances, uh, six catches for 153 last week, and then the huge one. Today, uh, we also saw Nico Collins or not Nico Collins, Tank Dell makes some big plays as well. So this Texans offense has been uh, on fire recently. It'll just be interesting to see what happens when they are all healthy. Uh, In terms of PFF grade and just performance in general, Robert Woods should be the odd man out, but we saw Houston have no problem rotating guys in and out. We've consistently seen guys like Mechie and Xavier Hutchinson get rotated in at times. So they've had rotations throughout the year. I just think it'll be a more heavy rotation once everyone is healthy. But it'll be interesting to see if Woods ends up being the backup, considering he's a captain on the team. But he has been the one that's put up the uh, worst numbers among these four wide receivers this season, even though he hasn't necessarily been bad, just not as good as these other three where Noah Brown's been among the highest graded wide receivers in the NFL these past couple weeks. And we've seen what Nico Collins and Tank Dell have done at times throughout the season, the big games that they've had. So uh, the future looks really bright in Houston. This could be one of those teams where it feels like uh, kind of San Francisco, where San Francisco has Christian McCaffrey, uh, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. Not all four of them are going to have a big week every week, but you're still starting all of them. And hopefully it's just not the week that they're the one that the odd man out, like McCaffrey didn't get his touchdown, where everyone else, including his fullback, scored a touchdown this past week. But uh, this could be what we look, we're looking at for Houston, not just this season, but maybe several seasons down the line since Tank Dell isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Nico Collins isn't going anywhere anytime soon. I expect them to hold on to Noah Brown for a while with how well he's playing. The Dalton Schultz has played very well at times too. So they really have five receivers that they can rely on in the passing game. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing uh, what CJ Stroud has been able to do here in year one with this offense. And and yeah, they're, they've been electric. There's everybody looks good. It's it's kind of crazy. And even Tank Dell, like he he had a couple big plays, but it could have been an even much bigger game. He had 14 targets in this one, uh, only had six receptions for 56 yards and a touchdown. So still a really strong game. But um, there there's a lot of potential here with this Houston offense. We just got to kind of pay attention to who's seeing the most playing time here so that we can trust that on a weekly basis and yeah nico collins coming back will likely kind of hurt noah brown's playing time potentially but there there could still be room for noah brown who's performed really well here uh, especially over the last couple of weeks all right we have uh made it all the way to week 10 without a michael thomas injury or shenanigans and unfortunately we got both this week but let, let's focus on the injury here he left the game after just two snaps i think it was uh with the knee injury so obviously concerning that he didn't get back into the game after that um nate with with thomas out what did the wide receiver core look like here for the saints uh, this is something that'll happen a bit where we see one player take a lot of the playing time from the player that's injured, but it's someone else who ends up seeing more targets. And that was the case in this one. We saw rookie A.T. Perry took over for Thomas basically completely in terms of playing time, both in 11 and 12 personnel. Uh, Perry's been interesting since uh, Keith Kirkwood had been the Saints fourth wide receiver for most of the season and then three weeks ago uh, Kirkwood became inactive and Perry who was inactive for the first seven eight weeks of the season Perry all of a sudden became an became active uh, Lynn Bowden still saw some playing time but Perry uh, started to mix in a little bit in his first game mixed in a little bit more of the game after and now had to completely take over um, he did see not only his first NFL catch for 23 yards, but also scored his first NFL touchdown. But it was Rashid Shahid who saw the big increase in targets this week, uh, saw more targets than he's seen in most games. He's been a really interesting player in terms of just philosophy with fantasy football since like he had his big game where he caught three passes for 150 some yards, but I couldn't get too excited about him because he's just consistently a very high average depth of target player who has a low target share. So he has that possibility of having those huge games, but isn't going to be consistent. And when he doesn't have those big plays, he's not going to put up many fantasy points. So someone that I'm very happy to include in TFS lineups and those kind of things, just because he's capable of those huge games. But not someone who's been able to be consistent, but now with Thomas's injury, we don't know how long he'll be out for. And they do have the bye week this upcoming week, so there's a chance that Thomas is back in two weeks and nothing changes. But if Thomas does miss significant time, I'll be interested to see if Shahid can start seeing more targets, being more involved in this offense. And he did that this game just didn't have that big play but if you can mix the big plays that he's capable of along with a little bit more volume and you have a pretty cons consistent fantasy starter so will be interesting to see what happens going forward after thomas misses time and especially considering thomas's age and health history he might be he might not be with the saints next year but i would expect shahid and chris Olave to be the top two wide receivers if thomas leaves so this could be not just a preview of what happens over the rest of the season, but also what we could potentially expect out of the Saints offense in 2024. 
Yeah, really interesting. Um, yeah, Rashid Shahid, like you said, season high, 23.7% target rate. So that was nice to see. But yeah, we'll see what happens here after their their bye week because they do have an extra week to rest. And I'm sure Derek Carr will be uh, likely back by then as well in, instead of Jameis Winston because Carr dealing with a concussion. So he has the extra week to rest there as well for the Saints. Um all right, let's uh, let's once again go back to the the Browns Ravens game because quite quite frankly we can't just we just can't get enough of this game. It was one hell of a wild game, and there was bound to be some fun takeaways from it. And this takeaway comes from the Ravens wide receiver core. Uh, Zay Flowers continues continues to lead the way. We know that, but we also saw Odell Beckham score a forty yard touchdown on a slant that he took to the house against his former team. But that doesn't necessarily mean that OBJ is the next wide receiver we'd want here in baltimore nate oh uh, yeah we saw rashad bateman play a lot more than he has in any other game in the past two seasons it's been really interesting how this uh wide receiver rotation has kind of evolved over the course of the season i know we've talked about it in the past but like you said zay flowers has been uh one of the starting wide receivers in all personnel groupings in general so far for the ravens this season with rashad bateman and odell beckham largely fighting for that other Outside wide receiver spot, uh, Nelson Aguilar often taking the slot snaps and 11 personnel. So that's been decently consistent. Um, first, it was more of a rotation by drive where we saw some weeks where Beckham was the top wide receiver, other weeks where it was Bateman. Then more recently, we saw that evolve to be more of a rotation by personnel grouping where Bateman had been the primary guy in 21 personnel, Beckham be the primary guy in 11 personnel. And that kind of rotation um, is more favorable towards Beckham for fantasy purposes because 11 personnel, more of a passing uh, personnel grouping, 21 personnel, more of a rushing personnel grouping. And that trend more or less stayed true for this game, but um, started to shift more in Bateman's favor. Um, Bateman played 21 of 27 snaps in two wide receiver sets, which is what we expected, but they were passing the ball plenty out of two wide receiver sets in this game. So uh, Bateman was able to run plenty of routes out of that. But in 11 personnel, it was a lot more mixed. The two wide receivers both took 13 out of 19 snaps in that personnel grouping. Um, they also ran a number of plays out of 20 personnel. That was a personnel grouping where it was kind of split between the two. And in this game, it was also a lot more Bateman. So while Beckham had the big play, Bateman ran more routes, saw more targets. His playing time was much higher than it's been. So I'm not sure if it's something where I'm going to trust they're going to keep doing what they did in this game going forward because it has changed significantly from one week to another. But it's certainly possible that Bateman is starting to establish himself as the second wide receiver in Baltimore. Yeah, this this one was definitely interesting. Caught my eye, and and like you said, um, it, it's been a it's been a mix. I know Odell Beckham had slightly better target rate and route participation over Bateman the past few weeks, but that that definitely changed in a big way this week. So I'll be interested to see if that continues um, next week for sure. Be considering. Beckham was obviously more effective with his opportunities, but um, Bateman getting more more work here is uh, is at least promising on on his end, right? Um, all right, last one here. It's our lone tight end takeaway for the week, and in a wild week, it's a wily takeaway to bring us home. Uh, Nate, tell us about the tight end in Tennessee not named Chico Conquo. 
Uh, yeah, so Josh Wiley was drafted in the fifth round. He was a receiving tight end, so that was always a little concerning when they drafted him, considering what we hope to see out of Chigazima Kunkwo this season. And Kunkwo had six targets in this game, so that in itself seemed promising. But then looking at the snaps, it was Kunkwo and Wiley really splitting that receiving job in Tennessee. Wiley's seeing a career high in terms of percentage of offensive snaps, offensive snaps in general, targets in this game as well. So we saw an 11 personnel, Okonkwo, um outsnapped Wiley, uh, 21 snaps to 14. So it was still Okonkwo who had the lead, but it was still a lot closer than it's been in these past few weeks. And in 12 personnel, Wiley outsnapped Okonkwo, uh 10 to 8 with Trevor Wesco being the blocking tight end in Tennessee pretty consistently on the field in 12 personnel, 21 personnel, those kind of things. Uh, the three tight ends split their three snaps in 13 personnel, which wasn't surprising. So um, Okunkwo is someone that we were really high on to start the season, has probably been the biggest disappointment out of the tight ends, at least from my opinion so far this season compared to what I was expecting. And this makes it pretty clear that Okunkwo probably isn't going to bounce back anytime soon, considering Wiley is starting to get involved in the offense. So even if Okunkwo starts being a lot more efficient in how he plays, he's not going to see the playing time that we hope to see. So probably someone, if you haven't dropped him yet, it's probably fine to drop him at this point, even though he had a six-target game. And probably not someone I'm expecting to see to be considered off the waiver wire at any point over the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, this is uh, yeah brutal. Uh, especially, I, I'm going to have to start Chiku Conquo next week because I have Hunter Henry and Kyle Pitts uh, on a bye week in, in a deeper dynasty league. So that's a bummer for me. Um, but yeah, a, a really weird one. Didn't think Josh Wiley w- w- would be a threat here. It really felt like it came out of nowhere because Wiley, like while he was he had at least a target in each of his last four games played, he's done so on basically just a handful of routes in each of those games interestingly enough so uh here he is now obviously a five target game and then uh, starting to eat into those snaps a little bit so we'll see what happens there going forward um it's definitely a bummer though for our guy chick oconquo all right, Nate, uh, that was good stuff. Um, that's going to do it for our weekly recap. Again, if there was something that you had hoped uh, we would cover from yesterday's games but didn't, you can surely find it on pff.com in Nate's game by game write up. So go check those out now. Uh, and Nate, what else would you have up on pff.com to help the folks out today? Yeah, like you said, have the recap, and especially it has some of the bigger stories in there. Here, I really try to get into the more detailed things that you're not going to find from other fantasy analysts out there. But uh, in the big recap, it has all the stories that you could potentially want in the recaps from yesterday. Um, Also have the waiver wire article, which went up this morning, which we will be covering on the podcast tomorrow morning. Um, we'll be writing five to add, five to drop, five to buy low, five to sell high later today. That'll be going up tomorrow. It will be the last one of those for the season, considering that in a lot of leagues, we have trade deadlines in uh, about six days from now. So if you are looking to make a trade in your fantasy league and it's not a dynasty league, this week is the week to do it. The best way to get yourself in a better position for those fantasy football playoffs. So uh, that'll be up 
tomorrow. We'll also be doing my rest of season rankings. That'll also be going up tomorrow. Uh, of course, the recap to Monday Night Football will be coming out immediately after Monday Night Football. And then typical things for the week, rankings will be uh, on the website in our tools at some point on Tuesday and an article form on Wednesday. Then starts it will be out on Thursday. Perfect. Um, and yeah, thank you all again so much for, for tuning in. Please don't forget to like and subscribe to the PFF Fantasy YouTube channel. And again, a massive thank you to the elite PFF data collection team for putting out all this data in the way that only our team can do. So shout out to that amazing team of guys and gals for continuing to be the best data collection team in the multiverse. Uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow again, topping, talking top waiver wire targets. So good luck with your Monday night football matchups tonight. And until tomorrow... Peace out.